All right, we're going to be in the book of Colossians tonight, Colossians chapter 4, as we continue in our uh, study here. I told you that I'll try to keep this somewhat brief tonight, and the reason is we're really just going to look at three verses here this evening, but it is on the subject of prayer, and uh, I just believe it's fitting on a night like this in our midweek Bible study and prayer meeting as we're talking about prayer to give some time to that, uh, to that purpose, to be able to pray together. And so if you're in Colossians chapter 4, I'll invite you to stand one last time together as we read verses 2 through 4 of Colossians 4. Paul says here, Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I make, may make it manifest as I ought to speak. All right, you can be seated tonight. Thank you for standing. Last week, we looked at kind of the last uh, portion of chapter 3 and went on into the first couple of verses of chapter 4 and kind of showed the connection between this passage and uh, Ephesians chapter 5 that deals with being filled with the Spirit. And we talked about the Spirit-filled life and God's exp uh, expectation for us uh, in regard to living a Spirit-filled life. And now when we come to this part of chapter 4, we kind of are, uh, of course, reading a letter here. You're kind of getting to the idea that this is it's starting to wind down. And some of the instructions and some of the things that are stated here, uh, he's giving some, some important um, instruction and application uh, to what he has said. And, uh, and, and, and verse 2 starts with these three words, continue in prayer. Now, I, I want to first of all mention that, that that statement, continue in prayer, that implies that this was something that they were already doing. It was a church that was about the business of praying, but Paul is saying uh, that this is something that they are to continue in. This is a good thing to emphasize as a church. And so, uh, briefly, I just want to uh, take a, a few moments and talk about the importance of prayer within a church. The importance of prayer within a church. Did you know that historically prayer has been and really should continue to be a primary emphasis in our worship? Prayer ought to be a primary emphasis in our worship. Now, as Baptists, we love the Word of God. We understand that this is our authority uh, this is our instruction manual. This is the foundation of everything we do, the Word of God. And because of our love for the, the Word of God, because we affirm the sufficiency of the Scriptures, we tend to place a very high priority on preaching. In fact, most of us would probably say the preaching of the Word of God is the most important thing that we do in church. And, and I don't want to... Uh, disagree with that necessarily, but I, but I don't believe that the preaching of the Bible is any more important within uh, a church setting than our prayer is before God. In fact, I want to kind of show you this if I could. 
Uh, let's go back to the book of Acts and chapter number 6. Acts chapter 6. I want to show you that the early church in Jerusalem, that first church in Jerusalem, uh, prayer was often emphasized even before preaching. As strange as that may sound. Prayer was often emphasized even before preaching. So Acts chapter 6, you're familiar with what happened here. There arose a, a murmuring of the, uh, of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. And the apostles kind of saw through this as an opportunity that Satan was trying to use to cause a distraction. And I want you to notice... They said in verse number 3, Wherefore, brethren, so this is the apostles speaking to the church, Look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But notice verse 4, But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, I personally think that if this was the average... Uh, 21st century preacher, we would probably turn those two things around and say we'll give ourselves to the ministry of the word and to prayer. Now I understand that they're not necessarily saying that one is greater than the other, but I just wanted to point out, isn't it interesting that they brought up prayer as being of great importance right alongside of the ministry of the word? And that's because the, really if you were to separate those two and simply say, well, we're going to kind of neglect prayer, but we're going to emphasize uh, the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. You can't divorce those two things because if you do, in that moment, in that time, the preaching of the Word of God becomes nothing more than simply an academic exercise. Prayer is our, is our communication to God. It's that relational connection between us and God. And if you divorce the Word of God from prayer you really are left somewhat powerless. And so what, what they're saying is we, we need to emphasize, we need to prioritize prayer and the ministry of the Word. Of course, we're all familiar with the admonition in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 17 to pray without ceasing. But I want to show you another place in uh, Isaiah. We'll go back to the Old Testament. Isaiah 56 and in Isaiah 56, God says something about his house. Now, I understand that God's house in the Old Testament uh, was the temple. And we don't worship God in a temple on a mountain in Jerusalem. Uh, we, as a church body, uh, assemble together to worship God. And where we are assembled together in Christ's name, he is in the midst of us. I understand that. But notice what he says in Isaiah 56 and verse 7. He says, Even them will I bring to my holy mountain and will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings, their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar, for mine house shall be called an house of prayer for all people. So when God said, when, when he spoke of his house, he said, my house is going to be known. It's going to be called an house of prayer. Now, again, we could look at that and say, well, yeah, but that's Old Testament. New Testament, the emphasis has shifted. 
But interestingly, Jesus in three of the four Gospels quoted this, this reference and he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. New Testament, Jesus, the one who said upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. By the way, that house of God that is now identified in the New Testament as the church of God, right? 1 Timothy 3, that, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. This house of God that we are assembled in today, I believe God wants this to be known as a house of prayer. And, and I, I, I'm thankful for the fact, I think anybody who has been around us very often could say that this is a house of preaching. I mean, we get together, we preach the Word of God. We do that Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, we preach. And, and, and it is a, a house of preaching. There's nothing wrong with that. But I do think that we have some room for growth in this area of prayerfulness because the house of God is to be known as a house of prayer. We often will have special meetings with an emphasis on preaching. In April, uh, we, we are going to be taking some time, setting some time aside, bringing in a special speaker who's going to come, and, and uh, Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday is going to preach to us from the Word of God. And we're looking forward to that. I'm trusting that God is going to use that mightily in our church. And I hope you'll make it a point to be here and be part of that. But, but I was just kind of reflecting, even as I was uh, studying for this and considering these things that the Lord has said about his house, I wonder if instead of uh, revival meetings where we brought in a preacher to open the word of God and preach to us, I wonder if we said, uh, we're going to have some special revival meetings where we're going to meet here for one week every night at six o'clock and for an hour and a half, we're going to pray together. If we did that, Honestly, and this is not an insult to anyone, I'm just not sure how many people would show up for it. Because we've become accustomed to enjoying and appreciating the preaching of the Word of God, but I think at times to the neglect of the prayer aspect. And so I just want to challenge us from this statement in Colossians 4, this simple statement, continue in prayer, to maybe consider re-emphasizing prayer within the house of God and trying to make that a priority that is, that is every bit as much important to us as the preaching of the word of God in seeking God and seeking his face and seeking his help. And so we see the importance of prayer, but then I, I want to show you, he says in, in verse 2 again, he says, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. I will be completely honest with you that there have been many years in, in my Christian life that I have seen those words uh, in Scripture to watch and pray, and I've just kind of lumped them together and assumed that just meant to pray. But I can't ignore the fact that the, the, there is an admonition not only to pray, but also to watch. And the, the watch, the, the word watch in Scripture Sometimes it's associated with a particular uh, time of the evening or time of the night. Uh, you'll find that, for instance, uh, in, in the, uh, the Old Testament. Uh, you'll find it even in the Gospels. For instance, the, the disciples that were 
caught in a storm uh, out on the sea. And it was, you know, Jesus came walking on the sea to them in the fourth watch of the night. Well, where did that word come from? Why was the night divided up into four watches? Well, the concept was you had a watchman, a security guard, if you will, that was sitting on a, on a tower keeping watch to make sure that there, the enemy wasn't coming to attack. And, and so while the people in the city were sleeping peacefully, they knew someone was on guard, and if something were to happen, the watchman was to sound the alarm. We find that the, the Lord gave admonition to, uh, to Ezekiel. He called him a watchman. And really, we understand that we are to be watchmen, aren't we? We're supposed to be sounding an alarm to the people of the world, letting them know that there is a problem, there's a need. And so the, this concept of watching... It has to do with being alert, being on guard. And folks, I believe when it's coupled with, in the New Testament, this idea of praying and watching, the idea is that we are to be prayerful, but we are also supposed to be aware and, and considerate of the situation and the times that we are living in. Let me put it to you this way. I believe that oftentimes when we pray... We pray really according to our, our understanding, our wisdom, what we, our desires. But we, we, and I'm not saying that necessarily in a negative way, because we'll often say, you know, Lord, if it's your will, we, we want the will of God. But I believe that God wants us to pray with knowledge. I believe that God wants us to pray with an awareness, and, and sometimes that, that requires that we try to see things from the eyes of God. In other words, if all I am focused on in my life is myself and, and the things that are going on in my world, I'm not going to have a very, I'm not going to have great insight into maybe the purpose of God and what He is trying to accomplish on a larger scale. And I think sometimes we kind of live our lives that way. We're very focused on ourselves, our family, uh, our job, uh, the people that we know and love, kind of our circle and, and, and our church and those things. But we can actually be sometimes willfully ignorant of things going on in the world around us and really not paying much attention. And I think because of that, we kind of miss the mark sometimes, even in our prayer lives, because we're just not all that watchful. And I believe that God wants His people to be aware. He wants us to be alert. He wants us to be uh, kind of in the know of, of what's going on in the world and trying to see the things that are taking place around us through the eyes of His overarching purpose for mankind and for the world. I want to just show you a few places here. We're in Colossians. Let's go back to the book of Ephesians and chapter number 5. Ephesians 5. And we'll look at verse number 14. It says here, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. 
So what's he saying? That a, a Christian is to always be on guard, we're to walk circumspectly. That has the idea of every step that we take, we're very cautious and careful about it. Uh, picture walking through an area that you think may be a minefield, and uh, you're going to make sure that everywhere you step, uh, you're, it's calculated, it's intentional. So you're walking circumspectly. Don't, he says, awake thou that sleepest. Uh, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. This is a call to God's people to wake up and pay attention. Can, can we all be honest with ourselves and admit that there are a lot of times we go through life kind of just living, but not really paying attention? Folks, it's time for us to be paying attention. To be circumspect, to be intentional. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, in this verse, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 34, this is a very similar statement. He says, Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God, I speak this to your shame. He says, it's, wake up, pay attention there are people out there, there's a world out there that's dying and going to hell. You need to be aware of that. Be on guard. Awake to righteousness. I'm just, we're going to keep turning here a little bit. Romans 13, if you would. Romans 13. And we'll begin reading, well, we'll just read one verse. Verse 11. Romans 13. And verse 11, notice what this says. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Here's an insight for you. You are closer to meeting the Lord today than you were yesterday. You're closer to meeting the Lord today than when you got saved. Now that's obvious, right? Every day we're one day closer to going home. But while that is an obvious fact, that's not news to any of us, if we're real honest, I don't think we live every day with that mentality, do we? We aren't always considering that, you know, our salvation is nearer than when we believe. Uh, the coming of the Lord is closer today by a lot than it was when Jesus left and said he would return. In fact, what was it, 95 AD roughly when God gave John the, the revelation and he said, behold, I come quickly. So if it was quickly 2,000 years ago, today, I think we can say we're a lot closer than we were. And because of that, it really is incumbent upon us to live with a certain degree of awareness and readiness. One more place I want to show this to you, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You see, Jesus said, 
that at such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. And he even said, when the Son of Man cometh, you know, will he find faith on the earth? <laughs> In other words, when Christ returns, it's going to be at a time that most people aren't looking for him or paying any attention. Even the people that are supposed to be people of faith. And so for us as a church, this concept of, of continuing prayer and watch in the same, the idea is as we pray, let us not be ignorant of what's going on all around us. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse number 1, it says, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober for they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. And by the way, I love verse number 9. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our, by Jesus, by our Lord Jesus Christ. So we understand that there is a day of wrath that is coming upon this earth. And that day is going to overtake this world before they even know it. It's going to be here. It's going to catch them off guard. We, however, are not appointed unto that wrath. I personally am one that believes that that's a reference to the fact that we are going to be snatched out, called out of here before the wrath of God is poured out on this earth in a period that's known as the tribulation. This is a reference to a pre-tribulation rapture. But the idea is this, because this day is coming and it's going to catch some people off guard, most people are in darkness. We're not in darkness. We're in the light. We're children of the light. We're saved. But that behooves us to make sure that we are paying attention. And so tonight the admonition is let us pray and emphasize and prioritize prayer, but let us never do so without also being aware of what's going on all around us. Let us pray with some knowledge. Let us pray with wisdom. Let us pray with awareness that, folks, let's just be very clear about this. We are living in the last days. We're living in the last days. You and I are seeing things, observing things happening in the world that just cause us to scratch our heads. I've had several conversations in the last couple of weeks of, of all these weird, strange, you know, aerial things that are being seen from Chinese spy balloons to uh, other things that are being shot down in the skies. And, and, and we look at this stuff and we go, what, what in the world is going on? And some of us who maybe are a little bit more lean toward... Uh, seeing co some conspiracies and things. I'll, I'll be honest, my take on it, there are things that the government is not telling us. I know you probably don't believe that, okay? But here's the thing. I'm not all worried about these things. 
I'm not all twisted up in knots about them. You know why? These unprecedented times, they're just reminders. Christ is coming soon. And because Christ is coming soon, we better wake up. Let's not bury our heads in the sand. Let's, let's, let's not be ignorant to the times and the seasons and the things that are happening around us. Let us be ready for the coming of the Lord. Let us watch and pray. And then very briefly, as we go back to Colossians, I want to just show you something else. And this is kind of maybe a slightly different um, subject along the lines of prayer, but I just it, it's, it kind of flows with this here. And as we consider our prayer lives and corporate prayer uh, as a church, I want you to notice that Paul makes some specific requests for himself. And he's writing this epistle primarily as an instruction letter to a church, but he's also writing it as a bit of a prayer letter for himself and his ministry. Because he says in verse number 3, with all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I, uh, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. All right, so let's just take a look at what he's asking. Paul, the missionary here writing this letter, says pray for us, first of all, for opportunity. That God would open unto us a door of utterance. Now, again, without taking the time to develop all of this, if you look through Scripture, the concept of open doors, that, that's, that's the Lord providing opportunity, right? He said in, in Revelation 3 that, that he's, he's the, the Lord is the one who opens doors that no man can close, and he closes doors that no man can open. And, and Paul is saying, Lord, or would you ask the Lord that he would grant to us a door of utterance, give, give us opportunity. Remember, Paul is sitting here in a prison cell. This is a prison letter, and he's saying, I'm, I'm in bonds, but would you pray that I have opportunity? By the way, no matter where you are in life, you ought to be praying that God will give you the opportunity to reach someone. Sometimes people think, well, I'm just not physically able to get out. I'm kind of stuck at home a lot. Um, you know, I've talked to people in nursing homes. You know, what opportunities do I have? Paul from prison said, pray that the Lord would open a door of utterance. You ought to be praying that God will lead you to someone, give you an opportunity to witness to someone. I personally knew a preacher uh, that got a phone call, a, a, uh, like a telemarketing call. Started talking to this telemarketer, and uh, in the course of the conversation found out this person was a Jehovah's Witness, but was starting to question some of the teachings of their, of their faith. They spent two hours on the phone by the end of the conversation the Jehovah's Witness received Christ. So when you pick up your phone and it says spam, <laughs> maybe, maybe the Lord's providing you an opportunity. I don't know. I'm just saying, pray for, pray for a door. Pray for opportunity. Secondly, Paul says that he, that he, wants, that, that he wants them to pray that he would be able to speak. In other words, that he would have boldness, that the Lord would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ. This concept of, of, of uttering truth, that it's speaking boldly. 
Now, it may seem strange to you, I know it does to me, that the Apostle Paul, who ironically is sitting in prison for preaching the faith, is asking for prayer for boldness. Obviously, he's pretty bold, right? Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 20, he says, For which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. That's a, that, he's asking prayer from the church at Ephesus that he would have boldness. Uh, Paul, you don't need boldness. Boldness is for weak Christians like me. Boldness is, is for chickens like me that's afraid to speak to people. No, no, no. We all need boldness. Let me let you in on a secret. If you're one of those people who thinks, well, I can't witness because I'm just, it's just not in me. I don't have that gift. You know, some people, it seems to be so easy for them. Let me let you in on a secret. We all struggle with boldness. We all hesitate to say what needs to be said sometimes and to approach someone with the gospel. But that doesn't give us an excuse. We need to be obedient to the Lord. And so as part of that, we ought to be praying for ourselves and for each other. And by the way, for our missionaries who are on the field, that they would have boldness to speak. So pray for opportunity, pray for boldness. And then lastly, he says that, um, verse number four, that, I'm, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. To manifest something is to, to reveal it, to expose it, to, 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 to make it known, to make it clear. Paul says, not only do I need opportunities and I need boldness, but I need it to be received. I need it to be understood by the hearer. Folks, honestly, as we try to reach people, we need these things. We need opportunities. We need people to listen. We often pray that when we go out together and, and, and try to reach people in our community. We'll pray that God will lead us to people who will listen to what we have to say. That he would give us boldness to speak as we ought to speak. But then also, we need to pray that we can make it manifest. In other words, that we can make it plain and clear so that people can not only hear the message, but that they can understand it. And some of that is not just our ability to communicate, it's actually the work of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of the hearers to understand and receive it. And so I understand that, that those, those things that Paul is specifically asking prayer for, that doesn't necessarily... You know, it's not necessarily a continuation of thought of the previous verse and the things that are, are mentioned there, but I, I just felt it was important to consider that even as we pray tonight for our missionaries and as we pray for our church. What exactly is it that we're praying that God will allow us to do? Well, we're praying that he'll give us opportunity and that he'll give us boldness and that we'll be able to make it manifest, that we'll be able to make it clear and that those who hear will be able to understand and receive the truth. 